0: Okay, Christianity for Beginners. Uh, This is lesson number six. The title of this lesson, The Church. So as mentioned, this is the sixth lesson in our series. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about the church and specifically, what does the Bible say about the church? And what does the Bible say the church should be, okay? So before starting you know, with the, with the uh, uh, positive comments, I, I want to begin with misconceptions concerning the Christian church. Before we, uh, we look at what the Bible says about the church, I want to review some of the false notions that people have and continue to have concerning the Christian church. For example, the most common one, the church is a building, right? This is the most common idea about the church, that it is simply a structure. People say, I go to the church on Main Street, or where is your church located? They see the church as a thing, a place, a type of architecture devoted to a a religious function. Another misconception. The church is a human organization. That misconception creates a lot of problems. In other words, the church is a group of people that are identified by a certain brand name. Catholic brand church, Protestant brand church, Baptist, Pentecostal. Each group has its characteristics, its traditions, even styles of architecture for its buildings that identify and distinguish them from other church brands. You ever notice Methodist church is a lot different than Catholic churches. Misconception number three, all churches are the same. This idea is based on the notion that one church is as good as the other because they're all doing the same thing. They're all serving God. We're all the same. It's all the same. It's like McDonald's and Burger King. Different names, different brands, but basically the same type of fast food restaurant serving basically the same food. Now when we examine what the Bible actually says about the church, however, We see that the church really is, we see how it really is, and how inaccurate these misconceptions really are. So the surest way to have the correct picture of the church is to consult the Bible. After all, the one who started the Christian church, Jesus, and the ones who established it in the first century, the apostles, are all recorded in the New Testament part of the Bible. So if we want to know about the church, therefore, we need to consult the source book for information about it, which is the New Testament portion of the Bible. So let's let's deal with the misconceptions first, shall we? Go back again. The church is a building. Well, although most of the public worship of the church takes place in a building, even one that has a special type of architecture, the building itself, as we know, is not the church. The church building is only a building used by the church. Okay. Second misconception. The church is a, a human organization. Although the church is organized, it is not like a human organization. One of the biggest mistakes that churches make is they, they think and act and, 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 and try to solve problems using human organizational methods. So the church has structure, of course, but is not identified like other groups that have certain names and compete with other groups for a position and power. That's, we're not in competition with anybody. And the idea that all churches are the same. This misconception presupposes that there are many types of churches and that they basically all fulfill the same purpose. The Bible, however, teaches that there's really only one church and it doesn't compete or divide over itself. I mean, to teach the idea that the Bible says there's only one church doesn't make you some sort of legalist. That's actually what the Bible teaches. You don't see that there are different types of churches in the New Testament. It's always talking about the same church, the same group. Now the simplest way to describe the church is to identify what the original word for church referred to. We know, of course, that the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language and the Greek word translated into the English word church was the word ecclesia. This word was a combination of two expressions, to call and to call out of. So the word literally meant those who are called out. Those who are called out or those who are gathered. Now among the Greeks, the word referred to a body of citizens gathered together to discuss affairs of the state. It has also been translated into the English word assembly or congregation. Jesus first uses the word church in Matthew 16, 18, when he says, I will build my church. When Jesus begins using this word, He is referring to His disciples. And what He does is He appropriates a common word being used at that time, but He gives it a special meaning. He will call out disciples. He will build His assembly. He will build His congregation. So from the very beginning the church always referred to people, not buildings, not organizations. Of course, the church was not just any assembly or just any gathering or congregation of people. The church, as Jesus described it, was the assembly of people who were disciples of Jesus Christ. Or you could say it in another way. The church is the gathering of all those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the church. That's the church that the New Testament describes. Now the key thing to understand, therefore, is that the church is made up of people who have been saved and follow Jesus as Lord. In the book of Acts, Luke describes this process when he recounts how Peter was preaching about Jesus, his death and resurrection, and he was encouraging people to believe. Observe how Luke describes the formation of the church in this process. We read a familiar passage, of course. Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, meaning Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So this is Peter speaking to the crowd on Pentecost Sunday. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to Himself. And with many other words he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So note how people became members of the church, according to the New Testament. First, the gospel was preached. The the story of Jesus, why he came, his death, what, what significance it had, his burial, his resurrection, and his instructions to his followers. So the gospel is preached. Then those who believe express that faith by repenting and being baptized. They're saved just as Jesus said they would be in Mark 16, 16. He said, those who believe and are baptized will be saved. Peter gets up and he preaches and he says, save yourselves from this perverse generation. And what do they do? Well, they repent and they're baptized. Exactly the instructions that Jesus gave the apostles in Mark 16, the apostles follow through with those instructions in Acts two thirty eight when Peter begins to preach. And then, very interestingly, it says they are added It says, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That means in the crowd, 3,000 of those people came forward and were baptized. So they were added, meaning they were joined to something. Well, what were they joined to? Well, they were joined to the existing assembly, the church, who had already been saved. So the church, not a building, not even a, a, quote, organization that you can join, not one of many, but a group of people who have been called out of disbelief to belief in Jesus Christ and have assembled together as one group. Now this group exists on a worldwide basis. The people who have believed in Jesus, having heard the gospel in Mandarin, living in China, who were baptized over there, who will never come over here, probably, along with the people who are in Nigeria, who heard the gospel and they were baptized, along with the people in New Zealand and Uruguay and Iceland and New York City and Oklahoma, all of these people, different language, different culture, different background, all did the same thing in respect to the gospel. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God and they expressed their faith by repenting of their sins, and were baptized. All those people all over the world who don't know each other, but who have obeyed the gospel, have become part of the church. They were added to the church. And then, of course, on a smaller scale, Christians who gather in a local congregation in various places for worship and service, these people are also the church. At its most basic level, however, the church in the Bible refers to those who are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and who obey His word as faithful disciples. And this is the church, even if they meet in in an elaborate building somewhere or if they meet in somebody's living room. They call themselves by a specific brand name or they only use the simple term Christian or disciple. If you are a faithful follower of Jesus, you have been automatically added to His church, His assembly, His congregation. That's not exactly what a lot of people think or teach. A lot of people say, well, you know, if you're not part of our brand, you know, then you don't, you, you don't count. You're not, you're not part of that. But we're not the ones that make the criteria for who is added to the church. Jesus has made that criteria and has given it to us in the New Testament. And notice, He adds. The Lord adds. We don't add. Now even though the basic concept of the church is simple, how it functions and the role it plays in God's plan is complex and it's quite an exalted thing. People who say, well, I'm a believer, but I don't need the church. Whenever anyone says that to me, oh yeah, but I don't need the church, not important. The the one thing I am absolutely sure of, of that person, because of what they said, is that they've never read the New Testament. (laughs) They haven't read it carefully when they say things like that. In the New Testament, there are literally dozens of metaphors used to describe the church and how God sees its position and attributes in the spiritual realm. Now I've chosen 20 of these, okay, to highlight the value and the beauty God accords to the assembly or the congregation or the church, all the same thing, right? And I've put these in the order that they appear in the Bible, and I'm not going to explain everyone, I'm just going to list them and read them for you, okay? So the first five, imagery of the church in the Bible. Kingdom of heaven, Matthew 3.2. Kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33. Church of God, Acts 20.28. Church of Christ, Romans 16.16. God's field, 1 Corinthians 3.9. All of these expressions, metaphors for the church. God's building, 1 Corinthians 3.9. Heavenly Jerusalem, Galatians 4.26. Israel of God, Galatians 6.16. Body of Christ, Ephesians 1, 22 and 3. Holy temple, Ephesians 2, 20 more, 21. Uh, dwelling where God lives, Ephesians 2, 2. Household of God, 1 Timothy 3, 15. Pillar and ground of the truth, again, 1 Timothy 3, 15. Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, 22. City of the living God, Hebrews 12, 22. Church of the firstborn, Hebrews 12, 23 flock of God, 1 Peter 5 2, Golden Lampstand, Revelation 1 21. the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21.2, Bride and Wife of the Lamb, Revelation 21, 9. That's 20. There are more. But I just picked I just picked to 20. So at its most basic level, the church is the gathering of all those who are saved by Christ. But God also has an exalted view and function for the church which reflects its importance and key role in accomplishing God's will. Every one of these terms that describes the church describes a facet of the church okay, or a reason for its being or a way that it serves or a way that God sees it or a quality of its existence. Every expression always about the church but always something, always something different, expressing something different. Note that these images are not meant to be brand names. They're not meant to be brand names. You can call your church on the sign in front, Church of the Firstborn, and you would be biblically correct, just like we say Church of Christ. We're biblically correct, Romans sixteen sixteen, because the name that we choose to identify our assembly is found in the Bible. If the Bible can call the assembly the Church of Christ, well then we can do so too. But remember, the Bible also refers to the assembly as the church of the firstborn. We could take down that sign and tomorrow put up a sign, church of the firstborn, and uh, yeah. Or we could put up the New Jerusalem church. You, know, you see what I'm saying? But these things are not designed to be brand names. That's the point I'm, that's the point I'm trying to make. They're meant to demonstrate different facets of the church In the eyes of of God. All right. So a couple of uh, metaphors there. As I say, I, I could go on for hours describing the significance of each of these names and references, but suffice to say that they demonstrate the unique and spiritual character and gifts shared by each individual who makes up the church that Jesus builds. All right. If you were to drive down any major street in any city, you would soon notice that contrary to what the Bible teaches, just what the Bible teaches that we've looked at so far, there are many types of churches, not just one church, as the Bible teaches. There are several reasons for this phenomenon. I remember when I was first converted in Canada, and so, a couple of years after my conversion, I uh, traveled down to the United States, southern United States, and we'd, we would drive. And I had never been, you know, I'd never been to the United States uh, before. <laughs> and I was amazed, because see, in Canada or in Quebec, where, where Lise and I grew up, I mean, you know, 95% of the people were Catholic. So at every street corner there was a church, but it was a Catholic church. It was Saint Brendan's Catholic Church. It was Holy Mary Catholic Church. It was Saint Luke's Catholic Church. You know, what I mean, but they were all Catholic churches. When I came to the United States and we were, you know, driving with Jim Jim Metter, the preacher who, who baptized me, and we're driving down the street, and I'd say, "Whoa, whoa," you know. First Baptist Church, Methodist Church, uh, Presbyterian Church, Church of Christ. Da, da, da. And sometimes, like here at the corner, we have three different churches, uh, one on each corner. I'm waiting for them to sell the land across the way to, have a, you know, to complete the thing and let's have four churches you know, on each corner. And I remember, again, when I first became a Christian, asking Jim, why are there so many different type of churches? I mean, don't they, don't they read the Bible? That was a hard question. Well, here's the answer, or at least I'm trying to answer that question. Why? Why are there so many different churches? Well, first of all, many of them are based on unbiblical foundations. The Bible determines what the church is and how it should function and how it needs to be organized. Since Jesus and the apostles left all the information about the church in the Bible and nowhere else, by the way, the Bible is the only legitimate blueprint or guidebook to establish and grow the church. A lot of churches are formed, unfortunately, with people not even looking at the Bible. They just see it as a, well, a religious organization. You know, we need this, we need that. Now there are different types of churches because people insist on adding human ideas and traditions and teachings in the place of the Bible or in addition to the Bible. Every time you do this you create a variation of the original and with many changes and additions over the centuries there have also been a multiplication of the types of churches that come into being. A way that I can uh, try to explain this. Thank you. I think everybody... Uh, sees what I'm uh, showing here. This is a pattern. If you're a a seamstress, if you sew, you you know what this is. You you buy these at the store. You buy a pattern because you're shopping and you see this. Here's a little dress, a little summer dress. And you say, well, that's cute. I think think I'm going to make this dress. This will be fun. And of course, inside you have all the instructions and, and, and a pattern, if you wish, to make this dress. Now, you can make this dress in different with different material and so on and so forth, a different color if you want. But if you follow the pattern, it will always look like this, right? Because you're following the pattern. But one day you said, you know, it's getting to be the fall. And I like the style of this dress, but oof, you know, my shoulders are, are not covered. You know, it's just a little thing like this. I think I, I, I like the way it cuts and everything, but I'm going to add some shoulders. I'm going to add sleeves to this dress. I'm going to change the pattern. Do you now, have the, did you now have a dress according to this pattern? Well, no. Why? Well, you added something. You changed the original pattern. Well, I say this here because in the same way, the Bible is the pattern for building or organizing or founding the New Testament church. The Bible is the pattern for that. If you follow its pattern, you will produce the church of the Bible over and over and over again in every generation and in every place. Oh, the color might be different, meaning the culture might be different. It might be a French speaking biblical church or it may be a biblical church made up mostly of Africans because you started it in Africa. But it'll be the very same church because you have built it and organized it according to the pattern for the church that is found in the New Testament. However, if you deviate, you will create variations. You will create something that is not the church in the New Testament. This is how new and different churches come into being. They have a church that's designed along the pattern that we find in the New Testament, and then along comes someone says, you know, well, I think we shouldn't do this anymore. You know, is baptism really necessary? You know, people baptize, that's a that's an ancient rite. It's so it's cold. We live in a cold country, it's so inconvenient, you know, the ladies who have long hair getting baptized in January, oh no, 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 no. So why, why, why don't we just, you know, why don't we just have baptism once a year? Everybody who wants to we'll do it once a year, it's not that important. Well, all of a sudden you have changed something that is part of the pattern of the New Testament. So now you have a church that doesn't baptize people or you have a church that teaches that baptism is not really important. Uh, 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 someone says, well, you know, we take the bread and, and the, the Bible teaches that the church in the New Testament uh, on the Lord's Day uh, takes uh, bread and wine, you know, the un, 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 uh, unleavened bread and and the fruit of the vine uh, as communion. And someone says, you know what? That grape juice is getting awfully expensive. <laughs> you know, uh, some, some numbers cruncher, you know, uh, part of the uh, budget committee decides we'd save a ton of money. If you know what, let's just have the preacher up there or the priest, let's just let him take the wine symbolically for everybody. And uh, they can have the bread, and, but he'll do the bread and and the wine. Well now all of a sudden you don't have the pattern anymore. You're not, you're not, you're not building the church according to the pattern. You've deviated. You've added something. I've mentioned two things, baptism and communion, because they're so common, right? They're common to pretty much all groups. But if you look around, not everybody does it in the same, in the same way. So why so many types of churches? Because different groups begin to change the original pattern and they end up with something that kind of looks like the church, but not the church that is described in the New Testament. Another reason so many churches, uh, people don't agree on the meaning of the Bible. It's not something that Christians like to admit, but there is often disagreement about the meaning and the application of certain texts in the Bible. Unfortunately, when two groups can't agree on how to interpret or put into practice a certain teaching or passage of scripture, what do they do? They form two different groups in order to promote their point of view. So Now you have division. You have two different types of churches. These separate groups often grow into separate churches with different identities, different traditions that have little to do with each other. This is why you have hundreds of different types of groups all claiming to be the church, but having different practices and points of view on a variety of issues. I believe that Jesus knew enough about human nature to know that this type of thing would eventually happen um, uh, in the church uh, that He was creating during His time on earth. This is why at the very beginning of the formation of the church, as He was calling out the very first disciples, He prayed for unity among His followers. He prayed, as we see on the slide, John 17, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Jesus prayed for unity. Imagine, long before the church was actually formed, He was praying for unity. Why? Because He knew unity would be difficult to maintain. According to the Bible, The church is united in its love and its beliefs, its organization, its practice, its worship and its service. Paul explains it this way to the Ephesians church. He says, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. Why does he say, be diligent to do this? Because it's going to be a very difficult task. That's why. (laughs) Keep at it, because it's not going to be easy. There is, he says, one body, one spirit, just as you were also called with one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and one Father of all who is over all and through all. The pressure of division was already being felt in the first century church, but Paul holds forth the ideal of the church given to him by God in Christ. So there is only one church. And it is perfectly united and created according to God's plan and purpose. The pattern for that true church is in the New Testament. And God calls on every Christian in every generation to follow His pattern in the task of establishing and building His church. I want to make one point here. When I say the pattern for the New Testament church I'm not saying the church at Corinth that we read about, that it was the pattern for the New Testament church. I'm not saying that even though as much as Paul loved the church at Philippi, for example, I'm not saying that the Philippian church was the pattern that we are to follow, uh, to build the New Testament church in our generation. What I'm saying is that the ideal New Testament church is described in various teachings, in various instructions that we have in the New Testament. And these churches, Corinth and and Ephesus and Philippi, are churches like us today who are trying diligently to follow that pattern. Most of the epistles are instructions to these people to help them pursue that goal, to be the church that was being described, the ideal church that was being presented to them in the teachings of Paul and Peter and Hebrews and and all the other things. Because that's one thing people say, well, if you're talking about the the, the New Testament church is in the the New Testament, and they say, well, the church at Corinth, they had a lot of problems. How are they the New Testament church? Well, they're the New Testament church because their goal was the same as our goal. They were trying to perfect. They were trying to achieve. They were trying to build the church that they understood that the apostles were teaching about. They themselves knew they, they fell short of that, but you know, they were following that ideal. I, I always tell people when they say, oh, you think you're the only ones? I said, no, 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 no. I said, why are you still with the Church of Christ? A lot of churches, you know, uh, of, churches of Christ that I know have problems or have people who are sinners in them. I said, I I stay with the Church of Christ theoretically because we're pursuing a correct goal. We've got the right goal. I'm not ashamed and it's not pride or boasting to say we have the right goal. What is the right goal? We're pursuing, (laughs) we're trying to be the church that the Bible describes. We understand we haven't been there yet. We we haven't arrived. There are a lot of failings that are easy to recognize, but we do have the right idea. We do have the right goal. We are pursuing a a biblical objective in a biblical way, even though we haven't arrived perfectly at uh, at our goal yet. So the pattern for that true church is in the New Testament. And God calls on every Christian in every generation to follow His pattern in the task of establishing and building His church. If, I was, if there was a time machine that brought me into the future and dropped me off in the future and God said, okay, go to work, you know, what would I do? Well, I'd take the Bible and I, you know, I, I would try to establish a New Testament church in the year 2325. Using the tools you know, and the resources that were available in the year 2325. But my objective would be the same as 2019. The same as in the year 64. Always the same objective. Trying to build the New Testament church using the New Testament pattern. OK. One of the things I'm asked most often as a minister is what kind of church is the Church of Christ? I serve a congregation, of course, here, um, and so people are invariably curious and anxious to figure out what type or what denomination I and my church fit. Of course, this is normal considering what I've explained about churches in this lesson. Well, I tell people that the Church of Christ is a New Testament church. This means that our goal is to follow the pattern for what the church is contained in the New Testament as carefully as we can so that we can resemble that church. This is important because Jesus said, I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. And in the rest of the New Testament, the Spirit describes what the church did, how it was organized, how it functioned, so on and so forth. Well, we want to be that church. Nothing more, nothing less. Of course, we're not alone in this. There are tens of thousands of other churches around the world striving for the same thing, and we're just one of them. I like to say, you know, we're trying to restore New Testament Christianity. Are you the only ones doing that? No, there are many trying to restore New Testament Christianity. It's not like a secret idea. A lot of people have that idea. I do say, however, is that we are one of the most successful groups to do that, because our churches are everywhere in the world. You go to the church in the Philippines one day, you're on vacation in the Philippines, you're in the Philippines on business, and you look for a Church of Christ somewhere, you know, and you find one, and you walk into that church, and you go, hey, they're taking the communion, they're preaching the, uh, you know, they're preaching the Bible, they welcome strangers. Now here's a disclaimer. Have we achieved our goal in becoming the perfect model yet? Of course, no. And why? Well, we don't understand everything in the scripture yet, and we don't always agree with our brothers and sisters on everything, and we're sinners and imperfect people who don't always do the things that we do understand. But here's the motivation and encouragement to keep on going. This is the right target to shoot for as far as church is concerned. Using only God's word to produce God's church. This is what a New Testament church does and how it is different than other churches. People say, how are you different from the church across the street? Our friends at the Baptist, First Baptist Church. How How are we different than them? This class that I'm giving tonight, we're talking about, they don't have this class. This class doesn't get taught over there. And I'm not criticizing them, I'm just telling you, this is not a theological objective of our friends across the street or our friends across the street there. This is not a theological objective of that group. They, they do not articulate the idea that one of their main goals is to establish the church according to the New Testament. Uh-uh, that's not something that's part of their, uh, part of their religious uh, uh, conversation. So When you visit a church of Christ, realize that you are in an assembly that tries to support all of its teachings and practices with the teachings and practices of the church found in the New Testament. No additions, no changes. We believe that this is the only way to accomplish the three main goals of the church given to it by Jesus. Goal number one, to reach and save the lost, Matthew 28. Goal number two, to build His church, right? Matthew 16, 18. But here's the key, to build His church His way. (laughs) Not to build the church my way, to build the church His way. And He has provided us instructions for how He wants that done. And thirdly, to create and maintain unity in the church. So if you're not in the church, of course, here I pretty much know everybody, but people watching online, if you're not in the church, you don't join the church. The Lord adds you to the church when you respond to the gospel through um, uh, repentance and uh, baptism. Well, you know, just one lesson on the church is not a whole lot, but I wanted to kind of uh, underscore the idea of uh, who we are in the church of Christ. We are New Testament churches trying to establish the New Testament uh, church according to the teachings of the New Testament. Easy to say, easy to say, not always easy to do, but at least that's our target. All right. Next uh, lesson, and which will be the last in this uh, series, uh, Christianity for Beginners, will be the Christian lifestyle. OK. Those, uh, the, that's the lesson for tonight. Thank you for your Attention.